Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're in message number 10 from Ephesians. We started at the beginning of the school year in Ephesians 1.1. And we've been working our way through the entire book of Ephesians. How many of y'all were here the first, for the first one? Like, like you've, you've been here, the whole, you're, you're the OGs of this series. This is the longest series we've ever done at Refuel. But what we've been doing is we've been just been taking a section of Ephesians and studying it together. And taking another section and studying it together. And what we learned in the book of Ephesians is that the most important thing you can learn this school year is who you are in Christ. Some of y'all are starting to get that because I've been repeating it every week. The most important thing you can learn this school year is who you are in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians talk about what God did in our lives when we were saved. The last three chapters talk about how to live for God because of what he did in your life. And that's where we are. We're in the end of chapter 5 going into chapter 6. And I'll just tell you up front, tonight, tonight we're in a section of Ephesians that talks about relationships. And I'm not talking about like the 87 and 13 kind of relationship. I'm talking about relationships with your parents, relationships in your house, relationships with people who like are kind of in leadership over you. And those are the kind of relationships that we really usually don't like to talk about. Because in all of our homes, what we're going to talk about tonight is that there's a level of brokenness. Um, that there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's a video I'm going to show you, and, uh, and Johnny's kind of queuing it up right now. And this is a video of a multiple car pileup that happened earlier this week in Louisiana. It actually happened on a part of the, the interstate that I've driven across before. It goes, across, it goes over a small part of the Gulf of Mexico, and the fog rolled in on this. It's called a causeway, and it was called a super fog. You know, I feel like everything's super right now. You know, we had a super virus a couple years ago. We had like, you know, super bees. And this was a super fog that caused drivers not to be able to see more than 10 feet in front of them. So cars kept piling up. And as they kept piling up, people couldn't see what was going on. And they kept crashing and they kept crashing and they kept crashing. And as that was going on, um, you know, they said over 200 cars were damaged in this pileup. So as I was thinking about this pileup, I was thinking about how, in many ways, that kind of represents the way that our houses are. And when I say houses, I don't mean like the physical structure of our house. I mean like the place we live, the people that we live with. Sometimes the fog of sin in our lives and in the lives of the people in our house make it to where we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do with our parents and brothers and sisters and all the other people, stepmom, stepdad in our house. And what happens? Sometimes our houses and our families kind of look like this. So tonight, as we talk about uh, family and as we talk about Ephesians, I've kind of titled tonight's talk, The Lanes, L-A-N-E-S, The Lanes of Relationships. And we're going to be talking about what's going on in your house. 
So I have some statistics that I wanted to share with you, and these are statistics of some of you remember from last year. I had a, we had a we had a, a organization do a study of all the teenagers who lived within a 15 minute drive of here, within a 15 minute drive of Lewis Memorial, and there were some things that we discovered. First off, there are 14,123 students. 6th grade through 12th grade that live within a 15-minute drive of Lewis Memorial Baptist Church. That's our mission field, right? But of those students, there are some statistics that have to do with the, the, the family they live in and the house that they live in. And these are some of the statistics. That of those 14,123 students, 3,406 live in a home without a father present. 342 of those students are in the foster care system. 7,626 of those students are living without one of their biological parents. Uh, also, 2000, some of you know this very well, 2,118 students are living with a step-parent. Like some of y'all are pretty sure your stepmom was not naturally born. She was spawned by Satan. Um, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and you're in that kind of situation. This one uh, kind of surprised me that families spend an average of 49 minutes per day arguing. I don't know if that sounds about like what happens, you know, with y'all uh, or not. Uh, but the question is, why does family have to be this way? We're in a series called In Christ. We've talked about what it means to be in Christ. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about what it means to live in Christ in Huntington or in Barbersville or in Salt Rock or out Wayne, if you're one of them rednecks, anybody from out Wayne, I'm just joking. I'm not, I'm just playing. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I live out behind Barbersville, so I'm a redneck too. Uh, yeah, how to live in Christ, how to live as a Christian in your community. Tonight, it's different. We're talking about how to live in Christ in your home. And for some of you, when I talk about your family, you think, eh, they're okay. Some of you, when I talk about your family, you, you shut down. You've automatically thought, how can I tune Matt out for the next 20 minutes? Because I don't want to think about my family. But tonight, what I hope we realize is that by the light of the gospel, you can live in Christ in your home. I've never preached a sermon for Spider-Man before. So, I'm, I, yeah, yeah, if I go too long, just like, you know, pull me off the stage, okay? All right. So, what we're going to do tonight is we're just going to, like, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22. But before we do that, I'd like to pray, and we're just going to go through this verse by verse as we talk about the lanes of relationships. All right, so let's pray. Um, God, thank you so much for bringing us together. It's a fun night. This is an exciting night just to be together as the family of God. But we also know that the most important thing isn't what costume we have on or what we had to eat. The most important thing about tonight is what we do with this book, is what we do with your word. So God, I pray that as we talk about something that can be sensitive, um, it can be controversial, God, that you'll soften our hearts, that you'll minimize the distractions so that we can hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're here in Ephesians chapter 5, what you're going to see is that we're, ta we're talking about three different kinds of relationships. Two have to do with the relationships that are inside your house. One has to do with relationships with authority that's outside of your house. But before we do that, I want you to, I want you to remember three things as we talk about it. And these are the three things. So you may want to write this down. You may want to take a picture of it because we're going to keep coming back to this as we talk about these relationships. And these are three things you need to know about your family. The first is, and some of you realize this way, you, you know, you're like, Matt, you did not have to tell me this. Like, my family needs Jesus. Look to the person next to you say, your family needs Jesus. 
Your family needs Jesus. Why does your family need Jesus? Why does your family need Jesus? Is because every person who's ever, every person who's ever been in a family is a sinner. Every person who's ever been in a family has a sin nature inside them. That means dads have a sin nature, moms have a sin nature, crazy uncle Larry's have a sin nature, your brother has a sin nature, amen, your sister has a sin nature, you have a sin nature. So the reason families sometimes are like the pileup that we saw is because each member of that family has a sin nature. And there's only one solution for that sin nature, right? It's putting your faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus so that he can save you and make you new. That's, that, that's, that, that's, that's why your family needs Jesus. The second thing is that you can honor Jesus by the way you treat your family. Remember a few weeks ago, we were in chapter four of Ephesians. We talked about the Christian life, living in Christ in Huntington, is about putting off your old sin nature, Renewing, I'm going to start getting some cardio in. Putting off your old sin nature, renewing your mind in God's truth, and then putting on your new identity in Christ where you live. Remember we talked about that? This is what we're supposed to do with our family. And the way that we treat our family can honor Jesus. All of this, in my Bible, I have it underlined. Every relationship that's mentioned and the lanes that he's called us to live in, in these relationships, they all say to live this way as to the Lord, or in the Lord, or in Christ. So you're not just doing this because you hope your family's gonna get better. You do this because this is what God has called you to do. And you can, even in a crazy family, even in a crazy family, you can honor Jesus through the way that you live. But the final thing that you need to learn and you need to remember as we go through this, I can't save my family, my family can't save me, but Jesus can save anyone. When you read this, you might start being tempted to think, oh, if I just treat my parents better, maybe my parents will get saved. Or if I just treat my parents better or treat my brother and sister better, maybe they'll change. Maybe they will, but there are some things we can do and there's some things only God can do. How many of y'all have a driver's license? There are, there are only so many things you can do as a driver to make sure a wreck doesn't happen. But when somebody comes from across the river with Ohio tags, I'm just joking. But when somebody comes from across the river and, and they're driving like a maniac, you can't, you can't change the way they drive. No matter what kind of hand gestures you share with them, no matter how many times you beep your horn, you can't change the way they drive, but you can change the way you drive. That's the same way with family. You may not be able to change the way your mom acts or your dad acts or your brother acts or your sister acts, but you can change the way that you're living. Jesus can save anyone. That's what Jesus does. What we are called to do is to live for him. So with those three things, kind of like in our mind, we'll come back to them at the end, in our mind, I wanna show you two different highways of relationships. And the first one is Interstate 64. That's the family lanes. You notice I put a, um, I put a construction cone. Uh, by this. Now this construction cone has a story. If, yeah, if, if you want to hear the story, you can talk to McKaylee afterwards, but, but she, yeah, there, she is the reason I'm holding this cone right now. Ask her afterwards. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing we need to remember as we're 
on the family interstate I-64, and as we look at this passage, is that construction is happening. Some of y'all don't know Interstate 64 apart from that crazy construction. How many of y'all, it's like the regular conversation, your dad or your parents are just always complaining about the construction on I-64. Like, like it's just a thing that adults do, they complain about it, right? So I'm pretty sure at this point, the rapture's gonna come before I-64 is completed. Like, it's, it's gonna happen. Like, like, if I-64 is completed, watch out for the Antichrist. He's coming, okay? But there is always construction going on, and that's a reminder that there's always work. God is always still at work in our families, too, and in your life, too. And you're not the child, you know, you're not the teenager that, that, that you're supposed to be yet, but God's still working on you. Your parents aren't the parents that they're supposed to be yet, but God's still working on them. So as we're going through these families, lanes, I want you to think about, up here guys, I want you to think about the fact that construction is still going on. So now that we're on family interstate, I-64, you ready to talk about the people in your family? All right, here we go. Let's dig in to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22 and like it's kind of an, yeah, kind of an aggressive jumping off point. I don't know how else to say it. So we're going to get into it. It starts by, he starts, well actually let's go back to the, the interstate here and we're going to use some colors to mark our lanes. And this is the wifey lane. Let me get, let me get a better, uh, let me get a better, a thicker marker tip here to this is the wifey lane. How many of y'all are married? None of you, right? Scary thought, well, I mean, yeah, there are a few leaders. Um, the scary thought is some of you, some of you, old, you, it's not improbable that maybe in like five years some of you will be married. And maybe it's, this is the craziest thing, this is scary. Maybe even some of you will have procreated. Some of you will have children. <laughs> like that's a scary thought, right? But so, so you may say, Matt, why are we talking about husbands and wives at Refuel, a student ministry? It's because maybe you've, ne maybe what you see at home does not reflect what's in the Bible. So that when, as you're getting older and as you're dating and getting ready to get married later in life, you don't even know what a Christian home is supposed to function like. Maybe this explains what you see at your home. So let's look. Here's, this is the wifey lane. Here she is. I don't know how to draw. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just not gonna do stick figures on this one. So let's go, let's go, to, let's go to the scripture here. I, I've, I've not done well with stick figures in the past. So here, here we go. Wifey lane, right? What does it say? It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Hey, now there's the as to the Lord, remember? That's yeah, I, yeah, the, the way that we treat our family can honor God, can honor Jesus. Submit to your husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body himself. Now as the church submits to Christ, so the wife should submit to her husband. What in the world does this word submit? Because it sounds kind of not PC. It sounds kind of like... 2,000 years ago, not 2023. What, is, what does this word exactly mean? It's another traffic term, actually. When, when you look it up and you look how the word's used, it means to yield. Have you ever been, if you're, if you're a driver, have you ever tried to get onto the interstate and there's just cars, 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 cars. What, what, what God says here is that, is, is that the wife in, in a family, in a family that honors God, is that the, one of the things the wife does, we need to draw hubby down here too. We'll make him a nice, pretty powder blue. What do you think? Here's hubby. Here's wifey. There's hubby. And the, the, what the, 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 should I stop using hu wifey and hubby? Is that, is that cringe? No, we'll keep doing it. Um, well, the, the, the wifey's responsibility is 
to yield. And what you see later in the passage is that you see also to to respect her husband. Now, why would God say that and say that, that, that wives were supposed to do that? We don't have time to get into it tonight, but I mean, you may want to write close to that passage, Genesis 3. You can go back to Genesis 3 and you can realize that when sin entered the world, God told Adam and Eve what the new reality was going to be like. And he said, Eve, here's some things that are going to, that are going to happen because of sin. The first is, like, women experience pain in childbirth. Okay, I don't, I, I've never birthed a child, you know. Jason says I always make jokes about childbirth, but from what I've been told, childbirth is almost as painful as when a man has a cold. Um, that's what I've been told. That's a joke. Um, but but the, the, the second reality is that, I, that was probably not good to say. I'm going to move on. Um, the second reality of, of sin that affected specifically women was, he says, your desire will be against your husband. Specifically, you, will, you and your husband will not see eye to eye and you will have a hard time like looking at your husband with respect. You'll have a hard time valuing him. And maybe you see that effect of sin like going on in your house, like the way your mom treats your dad or the way your mom treats your stepdad, the way your stepmom treats your dad, however it works out, it, 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 it's just not working like this. And that's what the wifey lane is supposed to be. Now the hubby lane is going to be harder. It's going to be worse. I wrote down and I I counted them. There are 125 words directed at the husband. Only 42 directed at the wife. What's up with that? Are you trying to say we're hard-headed or stupid or dense? Probably so. That's probably true, isn't it? So let's see what God has to say to the hubby. He says, husbands, love your wives. Think about the Lion King, right? Y'all like Lion King? Can you feel the love tonight? Oh, hold on. This is not Disney Singspiration. We're going we're gonna to stop right there. It says, husbands, so there's yeah, hubby lane, love your wives. And you know, here's the funny thing. And yeah, if, if you're a guy, you'll probably get this. It's funny. That's literally all he tells the husband to do. So husbands, love your wives. Out of 142 words, he uses four of the words to tell him what to do. And 138 words to, dis- to explain how to love your wives. Because husbands are that stupid. They don't know how to love their wives. I'll just be honest. So he gives them some. He, he, so here we go. Here's the hubby. He's supposed to love his wife. Why is it so hard for a husband to love his wife? Go back to Genesis 3. Remember I told you right that note, Genesis 3. What, you know, we, we heard about the, you know, the curses, you know, the effects of sin on, on women. What were the effects of sin on men? He told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will earn your food. You will stay alive. And it isn't it interesting. Maybe you see this in, in, in men in, in your home or around you. It's that like guys are really insecure. Like none of the guys here would say that and admit that. But at their heart, guys are insecure. Why? Because there's always this scarcity mentality. There's always this mentality that... I may fail as a guy. 
I may not be able to like, like take care of myself and provide for myself or take care of anyone else. So that's why guys try to, you ever heard the term overcompensate? That's why guys, you try to prove they're big bad men by, by buying these huge big jacked up bro dozers that take up like half, you know, one and a half lanes on the interstate. <laughs> Right? It's because they're insecure. And what does an insecure person do? But particularly, what does an insecure guy do? He puts on a front. He puts on like this, like, like this hard, calloused personality. And that's why half the I'll just be honest, that's why half the guys you know are absolute jerks. It, the girls are enjoying this way too much. I think I need to move on. But do you, do you see the issue here? It's not natural... It's not natural for a wife to respect her husband, and it's not natural for a husband to show outward love to his wife because he's so stinking insecure. So God explains, and we need to move on, but God explains how um, husbands are supposed to love their wife as Christ loved the church. Wow, what did Christ do for the church? How did he show his life? Somebody said it. He died. He, he literally gave up his life. He died in our place, took the penalty for our sins so we could live forever. As Christ loved the church, and like what Jason said, gave himself up for her. So we see sacrifice. So they should love by sacrifice. There's this really cool thing here that we don't have time to develop, but it says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with this word. The, the, this word, when you get into like the words that were used, it paints the picture of a Jewish wedding when the groom in a Jewish wedding, before the bride, before the wedding ceremony would take place, the groom would buy the most expensive perfumes, the most expensive like um, uh, spices and oils for a bath, because back then a bath was a big deal, like right 2,000 years ago, first century, Middle East, like you didn't take a bath every day. Can you imagine all, you know, all, the, you know, all the pit sweat and all the disgust, you know, how disgusting people smelled back then? So what the groom would do, and he would spare no expense, the, the day before the wedding, the groom would spend ridiculous amounts of money for all of these spices and all of these oils, and he would give it to the bride's family and the bride's family would put together like the bath to end all baths. <laughs> so the bride would be as, as, as just as beautiful as possible and they would use oils to like that was like the old old school makeup like you know to to to, to, to um I don't know what you call it when you do the thing you do in the morning with all you paint in the barn, whatever you call it. Like, like you and she would be she would be so beautiful at the wedding ceremony, you know what I was a little upset when I got married is I came out, you know, with my groomsmen, strutting, and everybody's looking at me. And then all of a sudden, it was like, dun, 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 dun. April came down the aisle, and everybody looked away from me. I'm still upset about it because everyone was looking at the beautiful bride. And this is a picture what Christ did for the church by washing the church from sin with his blood is the same thing that the husband is supposed to do for the wife. Spare no expense. See her as beautiful. Celebrate her beauty. Does that happen much in your house? Have you seen that happen around you? So that he might present the church to himself without spot or blame. This is exactly what we were talking about here. In the same way, the husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Love your wife as yourself. He who loves a wife loves himself. Whoever is not hate, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but look at this, nourishes it and cherishes it. How many guys do you know nourish and cherish their wives? Probably not many. 
So do you see that God's picture of a husband and the character qualities of a man who would make a good husband are so different than what you see on Instagram? He said nothing about boots. He said nothing about the jeans he wears. He said nothing about how many beers he can chug. He said nothing about how tall his truck was or how much he can put up on the bench. He's sacrificial. He sees beauty in only one woman in the whole world. And he nourishes and cares. And that's countercultural. So, you know, I don't know how, many, you know, how much of this you see in your house. But that's what God has called husbands and wives to do. Now, he ends with like this like summary statement. Like this, like to sum it all up. Verse number 33. Let each of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. This is like in one sentence saying what the whole passage said. Does that make sense? So, we're not here to evaluate well, how good, yeah, how godly is my mom right now? And we're not here to evaluate. Well, how, yeah, how, how godly is my dad right now? Because we're getting ready to move on to another section of scripture that talks about you. Children. This is the one you don't like. Like, this is the verse, like, like you're like, can we just like, cut, can you cut, can cut this one out of the Bible? You know, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You say, Matt, I'm not a child, I'm a teenager. You know, in the Bible, if you want to, you can underline children, right? First John chapter two, the Bible gives three distinctions, three age groups that you find in the Bible. There's children who generally were age zero to 12. Isn't it funny you can be age zero? But age zero to 12. Then there were young men and young women who were age 12 to 30. And then there were full adult men and full adult women age 30 plus. So most of you fit into that, that young person category. And young people were still considered, if they were still living with their parents, were still considered children in the sense of the responsibility of their parents. Does that make sense? Okay, so this isn't just talking about like children. This is talking about you. Yeah, 17 year old dude that has his own car but lives under his parents' roof. Talking about you. Children, oh, oh, we need a new color. We'll do green. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So now we're gonna go to the, the kid lane. And the kid has a responsibility or the teen has a responsibility Toward only one parent? No, both parents. And the responsibility is obey. This is a tough one. Before we get to it, can I just say something really incredible is happening here? Kids were to be seen, not heard in this culture. Maybe you've heard the story of when kids were coming up to Jesus and they wanted to be close to Jesus and his disciples are like, get the away from him. That's Jesus. You can't be close to him. And what did Jesus say? He said, let the little children come to me. Back then, you, adults didn't speak to children. Children were considered to be a nuisance. Children weren't spoken to unless they were doing something wrong. And here we have, look at this. In Ephesians, this, was, this, this letter was written, meant to be read aloud at church. And what does he do? He speaks to the kids and the teens who were sitting in the church. That's a big deal. Do you see how, the, how, how through Jesus, through the gospel, the status of kids is elevated? The status of women is elevated. Pretty big deal. So kids are supposed to do what? Obey your parents. Ouch. We don't like that. 
Why did God tell us to obey their parents? And does he realize how difficult that is? And the answer is yes. You want to know why? Because God was a kid. Jesus, God in the flesh, God in a bod. First John, or John chapter one, the word became flesh. God became a human and lived among us. And Jesus was six years old at one time. Jesus was 11 years old at one time. Jesus was 12 years old at one time. And there were times when Jesus and his parents did not see eye to eye. The Bible writes about it in Luke chapter two, right? Jesus wanted to stay at the temple and at the synagogue talking to the teachers and talking about the things of God. And Jesus's mom has a freak out moment. Does your mom ever have a freak out moment? Jesus's mom had a freak out moment. We can't find Jesus. And they finally find him in the temple. They say, Jesus, where have you been you need to go with us and Jesus says well I need to be about my father's business but does he stay no he goes with Mary and Joseph Jesus Jesus knows what it's like to be right but to still obey your parents he he understands what he's writing to you so we're supposed to obey do I have to explain what that means? You know what it means. It's just hard to do, right? But in Christ, this is a, a part of putting off the old sin nature, being renewed in our mind and, and remembering that this verse is in the Bible and embracing our new identity in Christ. It says, even if my parents tell me to do something I don't want to do, even if my parents do something that I think there's a better way to do it, I'm going to do what my parents told me to do because by doing it that way, I'm going to glorify God. But not only are we supposed to Children are supposed to obey. This also says, honor your father and mother. And this is a lifetime commitment. One of these days, you'll be paying your own cell phone bill, your own car, your own insurance. You'll be buying your own toilet paper. And you won't have to do what your parents tell you to do. But you still have to honor them. And I believe one of the hardest things that some of you have to do is honor a parent that is really hard to honor. Maybe you're in a situation like that or you know someone that's in a situation like that. Your dad is not like that compassionate, loving dad that we found earlier. Or your mom is, 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 is not a, is someone who, who, who is a godly woman. How do you honor someone like that? Well, you honor the fact that God made them your mom. You, God made them your dad. And there are promises that go along with this commandment that it may go well with you. You know one thing you can't outdo no matter how hard you try to outdo it? You can never, never change the fact of who your mom is and who your dad is. You can change the way that you are at peace about that. Now that doesn't mean if you were in, a, in, a, in, a, in an abusive home, you have to, you have to restart a relationship that, 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 that was not good. But you can make peace with the fact that that was something God put me through in a season to make me who I am today. Honor your parents that it may go well with you. That when you're 20, 25, when you have your own kids, you're not dragging all this stuff from your, 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 your life and putting it on your kids. There's some Proverbs that maybe you'd want to write down, maybe you'd want to read. They're on the app. You know, we have the Refuel app that you can download from the app store. My son, obey your father's commandments and do not dis- neglect your fa- mother's instruction. Proverbs chapter 6. Sensible children bring joy to their father. Foolish children despise their mother. Proverbs chapter 15. Listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she's old. Proverbs 23. 
You'll never get to change who your parents are, but you can change the way that you understand why God put them in your life. So we've talked about what you have to do. Let's pick on your parents a little bit. How's that sound? Does that sound fun? Let's do it. Now we gotta have a good attitude about that, okay? We can't be turds, okay? But there's the parents. Ideally, it's a wifey and, uh, you can't see that, can you? Let's do this color. Ideally, it's a wifey and a hubby. Maybe you're living with a dad and a stepmom, stepmom, stepdad. Maybe you're just living with your mom. Maybe you're just living with your dad. Maybe you live with your dad part of the time, your mom part of the time. But these are the parents' responsibilities to the kid. You ready to read this one? Now, don't go preaching this to your parents when you get home. You can't do that. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Whoa. Whoa, yeah, you can't weaponize this verse, okay? Fathers, and the, by the way, the way this word fathers is used, not to get too technical, but this word really means, it's referring to mothers and fathers, parents. It's, it's the masculinized version that they usually use. Anyway, so parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but, that's one of those big buts of the Bible, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a negative and there's a positive here, isn't there? The first thing is that fathers and mothers do not provoke your children to anger. That word provoke means to stir up, to get riled up. I mean, some of you, some of you, you know, like you, you know how to push your parents' buttons and you know how to, like if I just like give them this look or I make this grunt, I can make my mom's eyes bug out and her face get really red. Like you know what ticks them off. Do you know your parents kind of know the same thing about you? I shouldn't let you in on insider secrets, but your, your parents know the same thing about you. And what this verse says is that parents should be a calming presence in the lives of their kids. Maybe you grow up in a house, you've grown up in a house or you were in a house at one point where the, the average conversation is a yelling match. That's not the way God has called families to function. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your kids, but, but bring them up. That word for bring them up means to provide food. <laughs> Say amen, right? Make me a sandwich. Um, provide food. Now, obviously he's not, he's not talking about giving your kid a sandwich. What is he saying? Because this is spiritually, right? Is that parents aren't supposed to, 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 to get their kids wound up and provoke them to anger and wrath and, and sin. They're supposed to nourish them, feed them spiritually. Did you know? Maybe you'll need to know this when you're a parent or maybe you just need to understand what's going on in your home. Do you know the parent's responsibility isn't just to drop you off at refuel so you can get your Jesus fixed and then pick you up at 815? You know, the responsibility of a Christian parent is to be the one who provides the spiritual food to their kids. Do you have devos at your house that you do sometimes? Do your parents reach out to you about spiritual things? I can't change who your parents are and what they do, remember? You're in this lane and you can only change the way you, you can't, you, you, there's nothing you can do about your crazy Ohio driver parent, okay? You, nothing you can do about it. But you need to know what's expected, is that parents are supposed to, and it, it talks about a system of training. Parents are supposed to invest in their kids spiritually. Unfortunately, some Christian parents provide for physical needs, but not spiritual needs. Christmas at your house just looks like Santa Claus threw up underneath the tree. But if it were spiritually, there'd be nothing under the tree. 
You say, Matt, what can I do? That's my family, or that's my mom, or that's my dad, or that's me. I'm struggling with obedience. What can I do? We didn't make it to the final section of scripture, so we're just going to have to move on to the application. And I don't have F words. I'm sorry. Can I like just like beg your forgiveness? We've already sacrificed to a pumpkin. I'll get on my knee here and beg for your forgiveness. Um, we don't have F words. What we do, there are, there are four verbs. There are four verbs to live in Christ in your home. And we'll get out of here. The first verb is give. Give your life to Jesus. You can't change the way your parents are and you can't change the way you know, your, your siblings are. You can't change your mom or you can't change your dad. But you can offer yourself to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. I want you to give me, a, will you please give me a new life? I trust that when you died on the cross, you paid for my sin, even the times I disobeyed my parents. You know what's incredible is we've seen God changing people's lives. We've seen people over the past few weeks trusting in Jesus and being saved. The question is tonight, are you saved? Are you saved? If you're not saved, we're going to have a time of prayer and I want to invite you to trust in Jesus as your Savior. The next verb is honor. Honor your parents. You say, Matt, like how do I honor my parents? Do I need to build a shrine in my closet to my mom? No. Here are three, here are a few little life hacks. Here are how you can honor your parents. Right? This is going to make your life better. If you will write these down, this, I promise. The first is communicate. Tell your parents what you're doing. Instead of saying, Mom, I need 20 bucks. I'm going out with some friends. You can say, hey, Mom, I'm going out. Yeah, I'm going out with Christian Scooby. I'm going out with Christian. I'm going out with Christian. I'm going out with Christian, Judah, Cade, and Gabe. We're going to go see a movie. And then we're going to get some B-dubs afterwards. Can I have, well, that'd be like more like $40. And we'll be back by 10 o'clock. And Christian's driving. Your mom, we may need to get the little defibrillator out. Like, zzz, zzz, right? Because you, you, your mom will not know what to do with the fact that you gave her all the information ahead of time. And you know what? She'll probably let you go. Communicate. And the second is appreciate. This may seem weird and you may not want to do this. But if, if you're living in a house that is a lot like what we read... If you're living in a house where parents are loving and parents are gentle and parents are kind, why don't you tell your parents that you appreciate them? Like, one little insider hack. Your parents do not want you to know this, but this is the truth. Every parent thinks they're doing a horrible job at being a parent. And if you just kind of like let them know that you think they're doing an okay job, like you will make their month and your, your relationship will get tight. So honor your parents. The next, the next verb is renew. Renew your mind about obedience. If you struggle obeying your parents and it's tough and it's hard, it's because it's in your sin nature. But what did, what did chapter four of Ephesians tell us to do? We're supposed to put off our old sin nature, say, I'm not like that anymore. God made me new. And we go to the Bible and we renew our mind. We read God's word. We read this verse, Ephesians 6.1, and we say, God, this is my new life. If Jesus could obey his parents, I'm going to obey mine. And then the final one is pray. There's some things you can do. The things that God has called you to do as a, as a child, as a teen, you can do. But there's some things that only God can do. Only God can save your mom. Only God can save your dad. 
Only God can change the heart and help your mom or dad, if they're Christians, grow up spiritually. So maybe as we pray tonight and dismiss, and go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes, as we pray tonight and dismiss, I want to ask you to do two th- one of two things. So please keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. We're, we're about done here. I want to give you two options. The first is um, some of you, you, you need to pray for your family. You're past the point where there's anything you can do about it. The only one who can make a change in the heart of your mom or the heart of your dad or your heart is God. And you may take a moment here and just pray for your family quietly in your heart. Don't, don't pray out loud. But as I'm praying, you pray for your family. But maybe as we were talking tonight, you realized, I don't know if I'm saved. I realized I am a sinner. I, am, I, I do disobey my parents and I lie and I do things that, that are against God. And I don't know if I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. The good news is that Jesus paid the price for your sins. He took your sins with him on the cross and when he died, your sins died with him. And you can be forgiven. You can be given a new life if you believe in him and if you trust in him. Many people word their belief into a prayer. So maybe as I'm praying, as some are praying for their families, you may pray something along these lines. You may say something, something like this. You may say, God, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I can't get to heaven apart from you. But I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me. And I'm trusting him to save me. And I'm trusting him to give me a new life that starts now and lasts forever. Maybe you'll pray something like that as I'm praying for us. So if you're praying for your family tonight, or if you're praying to trust Jesus and to be saved tonight, I'm gonna pray, and I invite you to pray quietly in your hearts. Oh God, this is a tough one. God, family is so close to us, and it seems like family defines us so much. But God, we know that through the light of your gospel, we can live in a way that's pleasing to you, even in families that are not ideal. Oh God, I pray for people here tonight that they're just going through a lot with their family. And they don't maybe even know exactly how to pray for their mom or dad or their siblings. Oh God, I pray that you'll be really close to them right now. I pray that they'll remember that verse that the psalmist wrote, that my mother and my father may forsake me, but the Lord will take me in. And that they will remember that if they're saved, if they're a child of God, that that you are their heavenly father and you're fatherly to them. I pray for the families that are represented here tonight. But I also pray for people that have walked into this room not knowing that they're saved, not knowing that they're forgiven and not knowing that they have, can have an eternal home in heaven when they die by believing in you. I pray that tonight they will believe in you, that they'll put their trust in you and that they'll tell somebody about us that we can celebrate with them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.